Hi everybody, uh, episode 9, Deafen, welcome. Hi VJ. Hello Ray. Hi, so yeah, Ray McDermott over here in Belgium. Uh, still hanging in there, waiting for the Brexit, still not happening yet, one of these days. And uh, <laughs> how's Holland hanging VJ? Uh, Holland is spectacular, uh, beautiful and rainy as usual. And um, we have, uh, I think today is some classic cars rally today coming all the way from Luxembourg here. Ah. So pretty old old cars and stuff, I think. That, that's amazing news, yeah. The only news I have is that I left my washing out overnight. Yeah, so that, that's how exciting <laughs> my life is. <laughs> but that's why we're recording the podcast, to make it more exciting. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's get on to the show. Uh, First of all, we'd like to bring everybody's attention to the amazing fact that Rich Hickey listens to this podcast. Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the horror. Oh, uh, my God. Rich, if you're listening, thanks for uh, listening, I, I think. And uh, we hope to have you on this uh, show pretty soon. Um, but anyway, that's, uh, that's the big news for last week for Defen. Yeah, we're now best behavior tonight. So, okay. Uh, so we do some things about the news and events then, Vijay? Yeah, a quick uh, check on the, one of the upcoming events, I think, in Tampere? Tampere? I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, something somewhere in Finland. Uh, that is Cloj Trey? Clojutor? Cloj I think Clojutor Trey, because it ends in Re. I think that's good. Yeah. It's, you're just putting your name in there. It's just, it's, okay. it, they put it in there, you know? <laughs> Uh, I okay, can't it's, help it's, it, but closure tray, ray, closure tray, closure ray, closure tray. We, sh we should stop yeah, okay. okay, so that, that is an event. And we'll, of course, uh, post the link on uh, on the show notes, obviously. And David Nolan and other um, great guys are coming there. So if you're around, you should visit uh, Finland. And of course, we'll be there in, uh, as uh, longtime listeners of the show know, that we will be showing up in... Euro closure in October. Uh, we haven't still decided what uh, we're going to do there. Apart from attending, we'll probably record some uh, amazing discussions there, but uh, we'll keep you posted. But let's get on to the main discussion. And uh, as, you, as you guys know, we are trying to get uh, different uh, guests every other week, so you don't get bored listening to me and Ray blabbering in our village idiotry. So this time, we were very lucky to have a uh, not one, but two guests. Uh, and one is all the way from Australia, and the other one is right now in the US. So those guys are working on uh, one of the, um, probably, you know, every language needs like a killer application. So I think Onyx is, okay, I already announced <laughs> what it is going to be. <laughs> okay, oh, the so suspense we have... is blown. <laughs> exactly. Ah, oh, damn it. Uh, anyway, anticlimactic. We'll have to edit all that together now. But anyway, go on, introduce <laughs> them. The mystery guests. <laughs> The mystery guests who build Onyx. <laughs> it's Michael and Lucas. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hi, guys. Hi, Michael. Thanks, guys. Thanks for, Thanks for having us. Hello, Michael, and hello, Lucas. Um, first of all, uh, thanks for joining the show. And I know it's uh, practically 2 a.m. or 2.30 already in, in, uh, in your time zone, Lucas. Yeah, 2 a.m. in Singapore. Oh, wow. Okay. You're, are you having a party tonight, Lucas? Is that what it is? You, you just... uh, I'm the one that sacrifices for our distributed team. <laughs> this is the party. <laughs> this is the party, okay. This is, this is amazing because we have, uh, well, I think we need somebody somewhere in the Pacific somewhere. Otherwise, we 
we are now practically covering half of the globe or maybe even more in terms of the time zone spans so lucas all the way at 2 am and here it is almost uh, 9 sorry 8:30 pm and what's the time there in my uh, in your time zone michael 11:29 am wow right. okay Dead so night. real distributed computing and distributed podcast it's perfect perfect for the uh, for the subject matter isn't it exactly so first of all uh, can you give us quick intro about yourself you know wh- what you're working on and how did you get into closure maybe we should start with uh, michael uh, sure so uh, i've been doing closure for uh, it's 2016 so i guess about 6 6 7 years now um, i had uh, were you doing it before about- rich <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, what closure started in late late two thousand five, so I suppose I picked it up about four years later. Oh, uh, I wasn't okay. quite part of the early bandwagon, <laughs> but not too far after. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was in college, kind of kind of a hardcore Java person, and uh, I, I just sort of hit my limit. I I realized that the complexity budget runs out really really quickly, um, and I started searching around for for something else. And uh, functional programming and closure and Haskell became particularly appealing. Um, and you know, the rest just kind of happened, um, kind of left college, started looking for a job, started looking for a hard problem to work on more, more particularly and, um, databases, distributed computing, uh, that sort of topic kind of caught fire with me. And, uh, it was really a matter of putting together what I, what I knew, um, were, were good design principles, learning closure the last couple of years and then having a love of distributed computing, which is kind of now how I got to here. Okay, fantastic. Before we switch to Lucas, what is your favorite editor, by the way? My favorite editor? Uh, yeah, I am an Emacs person. Yay! It's so sad. It's so awesome. sad. It's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to go on that. All right, fine. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's not a problem. <laughs> I've offended one of the hosts. I just I can't continue. I mean, this is, this is the same <laughs> response. Every time somebody says, what is your favorite editor? I'm sorry, it is Emacs. It's like apologizing to every like entire world. It's like a family fight at dinner. It, it, I know. It really I'm going to incite violence. You know we said you can swear on the show, Michael. Don't start now, all right? You know? God damn it. <laughs> Lucas, tell okay. Lucas, please, 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 end your, end your introduction with a better editor than that. Well, I mean... I am. I have to say, I'm pretty jealous of all the tooling that Emacs gets around Clojure. But yeah, um, yeah, I've been working in. I was working in industry and uh, analytics, analytics systems for oil and gas companies. And um, yeah, I picked up Clojure a few years back uh, after working in C sharp for way too long. Um, I wanted to move over to a functional wow. language. Um, and I was searching around for something to work on next. I'd done a bit of Haskell in the past, which I really liked. Um, and I looked at Scala, and that kind of didn't really look very appealing to me. And Clojure looked just weird enough to be interesting. So <laughs> I tried it out, and I've been loving it ever since. Yeah, excellent. So you, but you both mentioned that you were um, kind of into a bit of Haskell as well. So just maybe as, uh, as an aside, what, what kind of like drew you more towards closure, the kind of untyped or dynamic type thing rather than Haskell? For me, it wasn't so much um, the type system. It was when I had a look at, um, at closure, it just seemed to have a lot more of the well, the, the, the libraries were a bit more settled because you had um, you could use any Java library you wanted to. 
whereas Haskell at the time was a little bit more immature on the library right. front. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I really love Haskell still, but Clojure just really stuck with me. Yeah, it was also, uh, I was going to say it was a pragmatic choice for me as well. I, same thoughts. Okay, so it was more about what you could do with it rather than whether the, the language was particularly beautiful or not. It was about, well, how can we practically do something with these things? Exactly. Um, and nowadays, I think it has a, an even better story because you get the benefit of ClojureScript as well, which is really a, right. a secret weapon. But do you have a, a secret hankering to rewrite everything in Haskell? Um, you know, <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> uh, and then Mike gives me some sad faces. <laughs> anyway, screw Haskell. We're on the Closure podcast today. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Well, anyway, that, that's, a, that's a, it's a nice backstory, actually. So, so it's all about getting stuff done, which is which is great for, uh, for what you guys are working on now, isn't it? Um, maybe it's worth giving a quick introduction to Onyx because, you know, obviously, uh, well, not obviously, you guys know a lot about it. That's fairly obvious. I know a little bit about it. VJ <laughs> knows a bit about it as well. He's been doing some work with it recently. Um, but obviously, it would be nice if you guys could give us a kind of high-level view of what, what Onyx is and what problems you're trying to solve with it. Sure. So uh, Onyx is a distributed uh, high-performance computation framework aimed at elevating Clojure's strengths uh, into the programming model. Um, essentially, it is a, it's a hybrid platform for doing um, stream and batch processing, which is kind of just um, you know, a fancy way of saying that it's able to take a lot of data either in a continuous form or as a statically partitioned form and apply some transformations or aggregations to your data and very quickly um, compute answers to really relatively ad hoc questions. Um, so when you break it down, Onyx is really uh, a new programming model for how you can do distributed computation that emphasizes data structures and plain functions. And it's also a runtime to support that new programming model. So it's, so it's big on data. Right. It's, it's markedly different from almost anything else else out there that I've seen um, in that the model with which you communicate to Onyx how your program is going to run is purely through data structures. Um, and this is a vast departure from how almost all other platforms operate. They normally give you some sort of a code-centric API, right. which has a lot of advantages. Um, but I really think that when you look at its design, um, the, the development level API really ought to be built on top of um, a data layer first because it gives you much more flexibility. So is the typical use case more like uh, ETL, like extract, transform, load sort of use cases? Or do you think there is some other like real-time analytics, these kind of things, um, they also scale well with, with Onyx? I, I would say that real-time analytics is its strength, but it can absolutely be used for ETL type tasks as well. Um, we don't try and dictate what it really should be used for. But yeah, real-time computation is definitely a, a strength of its. Um, given that its uh, execution model is very streaming-based, um, yep. you can, uh, the batch is built, batching is built on top of the streaming. But, um, you know, that leads to different strengths and um, weaknesses compared to other other systems. But you know, 
I think it does both quite well. Well, it's funny because the way I, I look at that also, I try to explain it at work, is that you can always slow down streams, but you can't speed up batches. You know, so you can you can kind of think of the streaming model as a unified kind of model for everything, and batch you can just take elements of that stream and batch it together. Right, I've heard it put as um, you know, batch is a special case of streaming. Right, right. Yeah, which is kind of what we have at the moment in many industries is a total separation, isn't it? And that was kind of the foundation of this Lambda architecture and all this kind of stuff where you had the batch on one hand and the real time on the other hand. So this is a kind of unifying perspective as well. This tool that you're dealing with at the Onyx is a kind of unifying the, the batch and the stream together, yeah? Uh, absolutely. Okay, so the other thing you mentioned is that it's a distributed compute platform. So. So does that mean it's not suitable for like single computers or, I mean, I guess when you're doing development, you're on a single computer. Oh, sorry, I missed the question. Hangouts kind okay. of garbled what you said. All right. So I was saying you mentioned that it was a distributed computing platform, Onyx, but how does it work on one machine? Can you do it on one machine or is it, you know, does it optimize for one machine as well? If you've got a big machine with a, a lot of CPUs and a lot of memory, or is it, is it only for the distributed computing world? Yeah, it certainly works with a single machine, and we get that question a lot for designers who anticipate high, having much higher volumes in the future, but um, don't have a lot, don't quite have that volume yet. Um, so it'll it'll work fine on a single machine. Uh, it, we don't specifically optimize it to work for a one-node use case, but as you add cores and you uh, tune it for the hardware that you're running on, Onyx will continue to take advantage of increasing number of cores because uh, everything that is meant to be fanned out is multi-threaded. So as you adjust the performance tuning, uh, Onyx can continue to take advantage of additional uh, capacity that you add. Um, so we, we do see that a lot because uh, people end up wanting to build things that are uh, more dynamic from the outset. And Onyx is really appealing because of its data structure-centric API. Um, and, and hopefully that, that decision pays off. It's a risky one as to whether you want to go down the road of immediately building something in a distributed context that you think may grow. Um, because you, you certainly do add complexity when yeah. you, you design like that. But uh, it's it's an option. And if you think it's going to be a good play, then I think uh, it's it's a, a good way to go. I think that what we see is that people want to do some things, like you said, that are fairly small. And as things grow, then they want to have more, like, more, more horizontal scaling. Um, but sometimes they want to start off with a kind of vertical scale, just one big machine, just to to do one particular task, and then throw it away. But rather than having to dispose of, if, especially if you're an Amazon, to dispose of like 20 machines is, or provisioning 20 machines is sometimes more tricky than just provisioning one. Right. And I think that's indicative of a deeper problem where you have people who are attracted to something like Onyx, uh, almost solely because of its flexibility. And, and that sort of seems to say that there's, there's something about the programming model that a lot of these systems offer that is a, a paradigm mismatch between, you know, why can't I switch between having one machine and having N machines? And why does it have to be such a drastic gap? Um, people kind of want to have that layer of in-between, um, the, 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 the ability to shift up without having to incur a significant uh, deployment cost or a complexity cost. And I, I think there's there's something more there that um, I, hopefully Onyx is seeming to tackle. 
That's nice, yeah, because I think the key thing is here that you don't have to change the programming model between those two environments. That's I think that's the the thing I see at the moment is that in traditional in traditional kind of batch ETL, even streaming land message message kind of um, processing stuff is fairly um, what should we say fairly small scale. Um, yeah, and the just and the move to things like Spark or Flink, it seems like a huge jump all of a sudden, or Storm or things like that. Um, so maybe so how, how would how would you compare it to those things to to those like standard big data um, systems? Uh, so I would say it's closest to Flink and Storm, um, as opposed to Spark, in that it's uh, built to be streaming first. Um, we, I mean, our, our model for programming on top of Onyx is significantly different to to theirs, but um, but overall the execution model is quite similar to Storm currently, um, in terms of the way that messaging is performed, the way that um, fault tolerance is implemented, and so on. So what are the major, so can, can you give us some insight into the design of Onyx? So what are the major components? Because if you see Flink and Spark and, and you see there are some technologies that they use that are fairly similar uh, within them, for example, Zookeeper or Akka for uh, concurrency. And uh, obviously they're really, really tight to HDFS because that's that's where you know they're, they're uh, going to get the data from. And um, also they are, I think they're, they support Yarn and this Hadoop ecosystem, so to speak, because that is the big data world. Uh, can, can you give us some idea about what kind of libraries or is it turtles all the way down <laughs> with closure everywhere? Or what kind of components are there in Onyx in, in design-wise? I guess I'll take that one. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, we use Zookeeper like the others. Um, we, find, we found it re works really well, it's reliable. Um, so we use Zookeeper to basically act as a distributed uh, data store for the job data. Uh, so anytime when yep. you submit a job to your cluster, so you want to start a new job, uh, you'll make an API call which will write that data to Zookeeper and then write a, a message to a, a log that all of the Onyx nodes are tracking. Um, mm -hmm. which it uses to essentially decide, you know, how many peers are on the network, what are they currently uh, running on, so on and so on. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you said there is something like a job, so maybe it's, it's it would be a good idea to explain what, what job is in Onyx terminology. Mark, do you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. So uh, an Onyx job is kind of akin to the most coarse a coarsely coarse coarse unit of work that you can compute in Onyx. That's a kind of a collection of stages of work to be completed. So you would sort of imagine that you have data flowing in through um, particular slots of of mm -hmm. uh, a multi-staged computation, and uh, this job discreetly breaks those stages down into first-class things called tasks. And the the gap between tasks is presumed to be a network. So the the uh, the latency of computing data coming into a task and exiting a task is going to be higher than it would be to transfer it over the network. And that's really why, why Onyx was, was built, to be able to fan out the various stages of uh, a computation and have concurrency take over to increase the overall throughput. Mm 
So does it build something like, uh, for example, in Spark, when, when I create a program, it is going to generate this uh, DAG, um, the distributed acyclic graph or whatever they want to call, and each um, it has stages and each stage has tasks. So in, in Onyx, I see that you have this, as you were explaining, it is declarative. So I can, ex I can uh, put the whole um, program or I don't know what it is, workflow. Uh, yeah, so what's fascinating about this, about, uh, this is that the, the workflow is the DAG. You actually declare what the tree is. So there's no uh, impedance mismatch between what your program is and what we compiled to under the hood. We actually take yeah. the data structures you provide as is, and those become the program. Um, the, the really interesting thing that's come up is that you know usually these, these platforms have some kind of an optimizer that you tuck under the covers and you have your program and under, the, and under the hood, you're going to end up stitching some of these uh, various phases together. You're going to perform fusion um, at all points of the compilation cycle. You're going to start fusing things together that would be better performed uh, at a single unit yeah. of time rather than spanning it out. We're actually able to move the optimizer around the stack. Um, we, we've been able to, to, to elevate the optimizer up to the application level where when you submit your workflow towards Onyx, indicating what the stages are, because it's plain closure, you can go ahead and just stitch those things together and have a much better understanding of how it's going to behave at runtime. Yeah, that's that's like, a, well, I was playing with Onyx, uh, and obviously during my day job, I'm working with Spark a lot. And as, as you were explaining, every time I write a Spark program, I always need to go to the Spark UI to see the DAG and to see the stages and to see how Spark is optimizing, especially when, when I want to squeeze out the performance from the cluster. Um, I, I need to submit a job and then see how Spark sees that one. But in the case of Onyx, you know, it's it's really declarative. I, I can I can clearly see this is the step number one, step number two, step number three. So that's um, very very interesting in my, in my opinion. And by the way, uh, maybe maybe this is a stupid question. Um, so if I have a workflow, so obviously if I understand correctly, you start with a workflow and then each work um, step uh, you can attach any uh, closure functions and also plugins, right? Exactly. In, right. Yeah. And um, the, in, in Spark, uh, you have the RDD as the underlying data structure. Of course, they're moving to data sets and data frames, etc. But Onyx stays true to the closure. Like, it's just the maps, right, that are floating around. Yep. There. I, I, I never did quite understand why there was a different abstraction for how you pass data around inside the cluster than how it exists outside the cluster. I understand yeah. that RDD has more... Uh, implications beyond just what the structuring of the data looks like. There's actual um, optimizations and performance implications for how RDDs are set up. But really, they're maps. I mean, they're, they are keys and values with their names and uh, the names and their actual underlying values. So yeah. we, we keep um, actual persistent array maps um, being passed between the tasks all the time. And that ends up okay. wiping away tons of complexity. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, obviously, there is a uh, plugin architecture in, in Onyx, so you can write your own plugins and plug into any of these workflows, right? Certainly. Or, or at any stage. Uh, yeah, Lucas can actually talk a bit more about that since he's been more of the architect of uh, the plugins as of recently. Right, so in Onyx there are two main forms of plugins. You have input plugins, which are essentially uh, to read from some kind of medium, and uh, that, that would be the input nodes in your DAG and mm -hmm. they cover all of the fault tolerance aspects so um, they need to deal with stuff like checkpointing and um, ensuring that you know the data is processed um, fully 
And then you have output plugins, which are used to write to a medium. So um, mm. say you want to write to a Kafka topic, that would be through an output plugin. Um, and then we have a sort of third form of plugins, which uses our life cycles, um, our life cycles feature, which is kind of a way to hook in and change the behavior of your Onyx tasks. So um, using the life cycles, you can do neat things like, um, you know, add metrics without actually having to, um, you know, for us to have to add hooks to uh, Onyx, um, or okay. let's say do something like uh, inject uh, Redis connections and um, you might want to output some data at various stages of um, the task lifecycle. So we c those can kind of give you a bit more flexibility as well. Um, yeah. Hmm. And, and so in, in the workflow, um, because this is a declarative thing, can the workflow be updated dynamically as in, okay, I, I wrote a program, I defined a workflow, now I want to push changes to the workflow? Not currently. Yeah, we've we've explicitly not allowed that because I it's always mm. been my opinion that if you I've I've seen other platforms start to um, implement this, I think you can yeah. get yourself into a world of trouble. I back agree. In the space of being being mutable. <laughs> um, the, yeah. you you'll have data that's in flight, and that's really the the problematic scenario. What do you do with the data that's currently in flight? And at what point in time do you say that the workflow has transitioned from state A to state B? Um, yeah. And you no. actually can't answer that question in a definitive way because it's concurrent you you'll have different pieces of data at different points and um of, of the stages so i just those are questions i don't want to answer and we don't have any <laughs> intentions to do that even i think it's interesting to consider well i think you're right though michael you used the perfect word there it's immutable you know you what you want is be able to reason about change and that's the thing which i think is always a problem when you're upgrading systems or changing a version of something you know if you can just mutate it on the fly then you've got yourself you know you, you might think you've won something but actually you've lost more um right. well, i was just going to go sorry go on michael yeah you see devops running in the complete opposite direction of that everything we have immutable deployments now we completely so it's there's there's something to be said about not yeah. Um, not letting things be too flexible in the wrong ways. And it's not that there aren't uh, solutions for this with Onyx. Um, like, it would be our recommendation that if you wanted to actually change a job that's live, you would kill the job and then resubmit another job that takes over from where all of the checkpoints are at for sure. your streaming job. Sure. There's no problem. Yeah. Um, I was just going to go back uh, just to rewind a little bit about the, the APIs and the data and stuff. Uh, something you mentioned there, Michael, which is why do other people do it differently? Um, and it's kind of like interesting to me about the semantics of the data because that's one of the things with Spark and all those other guys to me is that you ha when you read their documentation, they kind of tell you, oh, uh, well, you think you're doing this, but actually you've got to consider that. And uh, there are a whole bunch of their operations, their distributed operations, um, they have to kind of tell you under the covers, well, we're doing some wacky things here. So that their APIs kind of have data semantics underneath them, which they're, they're trying to kind of hide, I think, in their, in their, um, in their APIs with this map and, and stuff, map and reduce things that are really distributed map and reduce, but they don't make it very clear to you. Um, is that something which I, I get the impression um, that Onyx is a bit more straightforward about. 
Yeah, I think some of that is complexity that's inherent to the problem that you just can't get away from because of the physics of distributed computing. You're always going to have the ability to uh, have your network partitioned and have things go wrong. You'll have uh, the scenario where you're going to have data through reduced operation be asymmetrically sent to one node against the other and have you know problems. And I think that this is why you start to see... I, I don't necessarily think this is different with Onyx, and it, which is why you see more people with performance problems with Onyx than you do with a database like Datomic. Um, the pro I wouldn't say the problems that Onyx solves are harder, it's just that the amount of work you need to do to make your, your program operate in a high-performance setting is more difficult just because of how computers work and how they work when they're disjoint. So uh, some of this, this complexity just probably won't go away because it's not a beginner's tool, it's not a beginner's domain, um, so I, I, I hope Onyx does address some of that, but in, in another sense, um, it's probably just not going to get easier because of the domain, I, I would say. Because cap theorem basically brings you problems, in other words. <laughs> More or less, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the thing I always point to in this case is just use good metrics, monitor your systems. You know, that'll help you more than anything else could. Okay, so, so that's the kind of thing that... I guess people should be doing by default anyway with any system, you know, whether it's distributed or not. Um, but I guess it's more important with a distributed system because there's a lot more moving parts. Absolutely. So if I understand correctly, I'm trying to form some sort of a mental model of uh, how Onyx is working. Um, by the way, why Onyx? I mean, how did you pick this name, by the way? <laughs> I don't remember to be honest. It's been it's been about three years now. I wish now I, you can come up with a magical story. We're trying to come up with a name for our upcoming product, um, and we've been at it for a good three months now. Naming is probably the hardest thing that you can do because all the good names are taken. You want a short name. You want a name that has a domain available. It's just yeah. It's harder than actually building the program. That's true. Maybe you can say, "Hey, I was sleeping, and then one day Rich Hipke came into my dream, and he told me." <laughs> He told me distributed computing is hard. I can't do anything. And they're like, okay, I should do something. Shout out to Rich. We're dreaming about you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, to get back to the discussion. So the, um, uh, in Spark, as, as uh, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm bringing up Spark because that is something that I'm really familiar with, sure. or at least a bit more familiar with, not really. Uh, in, in that, you see that um, the, the execution model is essentially there is a driver and there is a lot of executors, and the driver is essentially driving the program. And uh, the driver is also responsible for retries, for example, if a node goes down or it doesn't finish on time. Uh, so how, how, how is this model in Onyx? Is it truly like masterless or is it um, like a supervisor plus, uh, yeah, supervisees, I think. <laughs> uh, how does it work in Onyx? Uh, Mike, do you want to take this question on the log, the log, um, yeah. So, so when Onyx was designed from the outset, um, I, I, d I did design it with um, a primary, uh, a leader and followers architecture similar to Spark where you not necessarily have a driver, yeah. um, but you do have a centralized coordinator kind of pulling the strings on all, all the puppets and, and making things work. And uh, I, I suppose after about a year after I launched it, I realized that uh, there, was, there was some room to do something else interesting here. And... I started to have thoughts about, well, what would this look like if it were actually masterless in some sense? Not quite peer-to-peer -peer because that's really a fully decentralized system, but what would, what would masterless look like if you took the centralized coordinator out of the system? 
So no one was really using Onyx at the time, so I had plenty of room to play around, change the API, change, <laughs> change everything. Uh, and I, I, I had been reading a lot of papers on databases in the last couple of years. I had a lot of good things in my head about what else could you do. And one of the, the themes that stuck with me was the notion of a centralized log. Logs are an incredibly flexible architectural um, um, kind of, kind of um, thing that you can use. And uh, it, it, it kind of dawned on me that you could have a system where you don't have a centralized coordinator because you have a durable centralized log and you have all of your worker processes, which we call peers, uh, replicating each entry from the log and taking the brain that used to be in the centralized coordinator and then moving them into their own process. So really, we just took which was once um, you know, a centralized process, and then we moved that exact same process into the worker. We replicated it. Uh, and that ended up doing really wonderful things. It, it didn't solve all the problems that we had. It made new problems. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you, know, you trade one set of problems off for a different set of problems. But of the, course, the, the yeah. trade-offs are interesting, because now you have a linearized, linearized sequence of actions that occur throughout your cluster in a durable manner. Uh, again, this is unique to Onyx, and I don't, uh, I don't know of any other platform that has this. But it, yeah, it, it has uh, allowed us to do some really interesting things where you don't have a driver program anymore, which is pretty cool. Okay, that's pretty nice. But um, from the semantics, sorry, uh, Lucas. Were you I was something? just going to say, um, closure test yeah. check uh, has been fantastic yeah. when testing, um, building this masterless log-based architecture. Oh. Um, because getting all of the scheduling and uh, peer join, peer leaving issues yeah. right was quite difficult. Okay. So you've got a lot of Sweet. race conditions going on there, basically. Or potential for race conditions. Yeah, potential for um, interleaving um, log um, histories that could end up in, you know, race conditions, um, cases where the peer's view of the, of the system is wrong, that kind of stuff. And test check was just fantastic for that. Maybe I need to ask you that question a different way then, Lucas or Michael. It's like, okay, so if you have this log in the middle, that, that's great for kind of like work done, which is like the Kafka approach where you log everything that you've done in Kafka or in a database log or whatever. But are you, are you trying to say that you want to use the log as a kind of way of spreading work out? And then if that's the case, how do, you, how do each of the peers decide that they're the ones to do this work? Right, so it's mostly used uh, to decide um, on the peers' view of the the system. In that, these these peers are currently running the system. Uh, which peers should be scheduled on different jobs? This sort of thing, rather than actually using it to communicate the the work. Ah, okay. So you, it's about scheduling rather than breaking the work up. Yeah, it's okay. about getting rid of the coordinator. Right, right, right. Okay. So what, what kind of semantics does Onyx have? Is it like, um, uh, for example, uh, only once guarantees or is it going to be something like, okay, it can, it can retry multiple times? Uh, yeah, Onyx offers um, at least once guarantees and uh, quote-unquote exactly once guarantees. The other one okay. being um, at most once, which we just 
kind of haven't bothered to do because I suppose I've never had a use case for it, uh, and it's not particularly hard to implement, but no one's ever asked for it, and I've never needed it, so um, it just never got done. But at least once, meaning that if there's a failure, Onyx will continue to try until it processes your data no matter what. Uh, and exactly okay. once, meaning aggregations like uh, a rolling summation where you're not going to take integers as they come by and then add them up. And if you have a retry, it's not going to add them again. It's going to come up with the appropriate sum regardless of how many times uh, it's retried because of a failure. Okay. By the way, uh, is there any plan or maybe some sort of an ideas behind? Because one of, one of the reasons why we pick Spark at, at the place where, where I'm working, uh, I'm working for a bank, so um, we are looking for machine learning related things a lot. Uh, like iterative algorithms, all, all sorts of, um, well, I'm working in fraud detection, so fraud detection algorithms. Um, do, do you guys have any plans or design ideas on how these things can be implemented on top of Onyx? Right, so, mm, absolutely. Um, it's actually a little bit tricky to do right in the current, um, the current messaging model and the current way that Onyx works, which is closest to the way that Storm works. Um, we're currently working on implementing async, asynchronous barrier um, snapshotting, which is the scheme that mm -hmm. Flink uses. Um, after that's done, things like iterative computation um, will be significantly easier. Um, so we'd, okay. we'd like to see a lot of that kind of work um, after we get the ABS work done. Okay. Yeah, basically the iterative computing is the core of all these algorithms, right? I mean, distributing the work and then calculating it and combining it again. But that'll be very interesting to have in, in the closure world, I would say, uh, having a proper machine learning uh, algorithms. Absolutely. Okay, let's, um, let's go to... Okay, so building an Onyx app. So what? just consider me like a, like a noob. Uh, obviously, I'm a noob for Onyx. Uh, how how would I build an Onyx app? So it's basically embeddable, or is it? I just start with small lining and plugin or whatever, or just keep adding, keep using Onyx as a library. I think this is one of the challenges of Onyx, even though it's actually a strength in the end, is that it's it's so malleable and flexible that it's kind of yeah. like, well, where do I start? Um, <laughs> we have we have a, an app uh, an application template. We have a workshop that you can follow. We have tons and tons of documentation. Um, so. I, uh, off of our website, we have kind of first steps where you would start. And I, I'd say the Line Again application template is probably the best place. Or if you're going to go sit down and write a serious uh, application that's supposed to do something, um, you can go ahead and spin up a new one, and that should put you in a good state. Um, the difficulty being that if you're going to expose closure to such a great extent, um, you're decidedly moving away from framework. Framework is really great for getting people started quickly and then forcing them into doing things a particular way. But as you move far away from that, you get more flexibility and more strengths to tap into the core language, but you also make it more tricky for the beginner. So it's, it, I guess it's kind of our Achilles heel and one which I'm totally fine having because, again, we didn't design this for beginners. This is really a, um, a tool for people who are doing serious production work. Um, but yeah. some combination of starting with the application template and then having a thorough review of the documentation and, and learning about what it does first before um, diving in too deep would be helpful. Yeah, I think the uh, when I started looking into the docs and uh, obviously the Learn Onyx um, project on, on GitHub, 
that was very helpful because you know i think you you have this nice test driven workflow that i need to look into the tests and then i basically learn the concepts one by one uh, so that that was very useful for me so i think if people who are interested in learning onyx i think that would be a very uh, nice place to start i would say we've we've done that workshop live a couple of times and it's been always a really fun thing to do so if you know onyx particularly well and you want to teach other people i would recommend maybe doing a meetup and and just having people walk through it and ask you questions because um, it's so self-guided that it ends up being easy for people to teach themselves while occasionally asking questions. Yeah, actually, in, in October, I'm going to do a Onyx uh, workshop in uh, in Amsterdam, uh, closure meetup. Cool. So my plan is to use that one, and obviously, I'm going to bother you guys with a lot of questions uh, <laughs> working on this one on Slack, though. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, I might come. I, okay. come, I might so, come across for that, VJ. Sounds good. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Uh, well, uh, the idea is to do it um, in September, but uh, I'm going to flink forward. Uh, event so that's in berlin so i couldn't do it this month but i'm going to do it the next month in october so it'll be awesome if you can join then uh, you know you can give a field report <laughs> for defen but so uh, just going back to your sort of uh, thing about building the onyx apps though mike um are you are you saying that essentially you're you're writing a closure program you know so you use the kind of um the the pattern of of onyx um the the mapping and stuff like that but most of the functions that people write will be closure functions that that essentially operate on the data almost entirely yeah because that's a that's a huge win isn't it i mean if people are basically bringing their own workflow then that's you know that that's a that's a tremendous gift to the developers i think because they can bring in their own libraries, their own uh, functions. They don't have to rely upon, well, they can rely on the ecosystem of closure, but they don't have to rely on some special ecosystem. We hear that a lot because people will start to become interested in Onyx and see that you primarily use plain closure functions and data. And they think, I, I have 90% of the work done because I wrote a single JVM app or I wrote something in a, a different kind of framework that allowed me to still use closure. And so all I need to do is figure out the plumbing and the wiring to stick it all together because none of that has to change. And I think that that's a big win for uh, engineering costs. Excellent, yeah. By the way, the, the whole distributed state management with log, uh, maybe this is completely unrelated, but uh, I'm just going to throw it in. Uh, did you guys take a look at about at some point that was supposed to be distributed atom implementation? About. Yeah, I think I, I have seen that. There's a couple pro. So I think about has primarily been abandoned, unfortunately, because it can't it can't support the semantics uh, of some operations because Zookeeper doesn't support continuous uh, watch triggers, which is when when a value changes on a Z node, um, mm -hmm. it will continuously update any subscribers, which is what Closure does. But Zookeeper doesn't allow that, so you can't really match the semantics. Uh, okay, so that's not really a yeah. I, I remember looking at it. Um, I think. Even years ago, several years ago, I think, uh, that was supposed to be like a distributed atom, but managed by Zookeeper and then state, you can save it to, I think there were plugins for MongoDB at that time. But anyway, as you're pointing out, I think it's essentially an abandoned project right now. But, yeah. but aren't, aren't, we, aren't we talking about here, though, um, about immutable data anyway? So the, the distributed atom bit, is that really a thing? Actually, our state management, Lucas wrote almost the entire thing. You can talk about it. Um, it's intentionally designed to be relatively immutable. 
Yeah, so the way we built our windowing and state management feature is that you're essentially building um, a state machine that's based, you know, a replicated state machine um, that your data is being pushed through. Um, and that's all journaled to Bookkeeper, which is a distributed log. Um, and this provides nice fault tolerance semantics. Um, if you have a node that crashes, uh, another node will pick it up, replay the state machine log, um, which will get you back into the state the windows were in and your aggregations are in, and then continue going. Excellent. Cool. Okay. So um, now one of the challenges for us, at least, um, especially getting into distributed computing is the deployment stuff. So if you see other, uh, I think deployment has been one of the biggest painful parts in Storm, as far as I remember. Um, and, and obviously the other stacks, uh, they have their own way of um, running on top of existing ecosystems like uh, Yarn or Mesos. So how do we, how, how do, uh, how, a developer or a DevOps guy, um, what is the recommended way of deploying Onyx? So the tricky part with deploying Onyx, which um, yeah, I, I used a lot of the tooling that, that, that existed before I built it, and I was really frustrated because the primary way of doing this was building against this framework, creating an Uber jar, and then submitting it to some master yep. process. And while that actually does the orchestration pretty well for the transportation of your program to the various nodes in your cluster, it makes so many assumptions about how the thing, how how the way the things ought to work, um, that you lose any benefit I think that you got in the first place. So, Onyx is is a you know decidedly uh, a la carte deployment process where you you create an Uber jar for your worker processes and you actually invoke a, a function to start up all of its thread listeners and then you block. And so it keeps it online as a persistent daemon. So virtually all of the infrastructure related to doing deployment um, is kept outside of Onyx itself, which means that you can run it in a container, you can run it on Kubernetes, you can run it on Mesos. Um, it just doesn't work that way out of the box. So you have to do a little bit extra footwork to set it up the way you want it. Now, my hypothesis is that you were going to have to do that footwork anyway, regardless of if we ship something that was kind of prepackaged, and you would kind of have to backtrack yeah. and then set things up the way you want it anyway. Um, so it, it may be one point, one pain point for Onyx, but I think it's it's one of those things that pays more down the road as you use it um, continuously. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell from my my experience that the way that we deploy Spark applications is basically driven by Ansible, and and we have some sort of an entry node to the cluster, and then we jump to it, and then from there we do the Spark submit. Uh, but we use Yarn as a resource negotiator. Um, but Onyx doesn't require any resource negotiation frameworks, right? None. Only if you want to have it, you can you can go ahead and integrate okay. at that point. Okay. I, I think we could do a better. Sorry, I think we could do a bit better of a job of um, of adding some extra tutorials for Mesos and Kubernetes and Co. Yeah, yeah, that'll be very useful because uh, whenever I start with this kind of uh, experimenting with these kind of things, I, I just boot up a cluster with uh, I don't know six or seven machines, and then I, I go through the entire life cycle. You know, build a program, deploy it. And see how how the framework is supporting me in terms of deployment. How what kind of access do I need to give to the DevOps teams? Because these are all big problems, you know. <laughs> Especially if you want to uh, 
uh, have a if if you want to get into this enterprisey mode of deploying applications. Agreed. So there there, yeah, there, there it is like super painful situation uh, because I, I ask, okay, can I get this shell access? Then everybody will be like, no way. So how how do I deploy this thing? <laughs> because I need to type in Spark submit.sh everywhere. So that that is one of the um, yeah uh, bane of my existence right now. Anyway, okay, let's uh, let's get into the next interesting thing. So what kind of tooling and, and available around Onyx? If I know Onyx dashboard is one of the uh, projects that you guys are working on. Uh, can, can you give us some insights on uh, what tooling is available right now for Onyx and what, what are your plans? Sure. Um, so Onyx dashboard is a great one. Um, it's primarily used at the moment to give you a view of what's going on in your cluster, what nodes are currently up, you know, what, what's the overall state of your cluster. Um, and give you some visibility into you know what jobs are running, um, what what is the job, what catalog is contained in the job, job what does the DAG graph look like, and so on. Um, yeah, and we we generally recommend that when new users are getting up and running with Onyx, that they have a look at what's going on in the dashboard because it gives them um, a lot better of an idea about what's actually going on internally. Yeah. So is this a separate application that, that needs to be run or is it inbuilt into Onyx itself? It is a separate application. Um, we okay. are also going to be releasing a um, a sort of da daemon that you can start up with your Onyx peers, which will give you visibility into what their view of the, um, oh. of, of the system is. Um, so you can sort of see, okay, what, what nodes do they think are online? Uh, what job are they actually running? Um, so that could give you a, quite a bit of the information that dash, the dashboard would give you currently without some of the overhead. Okay, so what, what is the kind of uh, communication that we need between Onyx dashboard and, and the peers? I mean, is, where is the information coming so from? Because, the dash, because of the way that uh, um, a cluster is designed, um, using the log-orientated architecture, dash, the dashboard only really needs to look at um, Zookeeper and read the job data and play back the Zookeeper, or play back the log that Onyx uses, and then as a okay. result, it will actually know what the current state of the cluster is. Right. Okay. okay. So it's nice and distributed, and uh, doesn't have to reach out to each of the. Uh, nodes in turn and query them and have all this kind of crosstalk. Right, not unless they want to do some sort of health check on the nodes. No. What's fascinating is that it can almost function as a read-only peer in the cluster, where it it's listening as if it were exactly a node in the cluster, except it's not doing anything. So it's just passively listening to all the activity and in a durable context. So the design uh, allows for really good extensibility. And Onyx dashboard is just one of the examples where we tap into the log. Um, in order to almost participate in a passive manner. Okay, so actually the log provides you with a kind of database um, to snapshot and to interrogate and to analyze the current flow of work in the system. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. It's, uh, it's shown to itself to be very handy as well when we're debugging um, issues with clusters because we can just take a dump of the log and then play it back step by step and look at each node's view of the cluster. 
Yeah, it sounds like a huge win actually from a design perspective as well because you don't you don't take any performance hit for monitoring. Somewhat true, although we do actually need to have um, node level monitoring on um, what work the uh, each each node is actually doing at any given time. So um, the log doesn't actually give you any visibility on like you know, how much data is passing through the system. Um, what's the throughput, you know, latency, this sort of stuff. Oh, so how do you collect that bit of information then on top of the, uh, the, the worker log? Uh, so we have another plugin, which is Onyx Metrics, which provides uh, outputs for a bunch of different metric systems. So if you're using Riemann or New Relic or Datadog, um, you just hook it up um have it connect to the right place and it will emit metrics for all of your jobs okay excellent yeah so you can use the same operational tooling that you're using now uh, just through one of these plugins that's right so the sweet. performance wise uh we're, sorry Ray. i was just saying it was sweet that's all okay <laughs> no sweet sweet <laughs> <laughs> so uh we're talking about performance right so how because um, nowadays there is this huge um, bleep measuring contest uh, between uh, <laughs> <laughs> all of these uh, frameworks you know hey, i'm faster than this thing we can do real time analytics and you can do so this kind of crap going on a lot between all these uh, all these frameworks these days right i mean spark keeps on saying well, we have the fastest and then flink says no we can do this stuff better and these kind of things but um, but when i see spark api and all that stuff because that is that is completely different model as you were pointing out before uh, that rdd is the central idea behind spark and then of course data frames and data sets and the the programs themselves are are not real scala programs but spark programs there is a slight difference between writing a scala program and a spark program because there are well rdds are not flat mappable blah 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 whatever um now how do you see the performance characteristics of onyx because it's 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 really like just using plain closure right right I would probably start by saying a lot of these benchmarks, as you're saying, are borderline infuriating because they're so context dependent. <laughs> yeah. As someone who's, yeah. you know, we've we've designed these things and we understand how many how how much complexity is involved and how specific um, the, these tests have to be. So having a full comparison across the board, unless it's for your particular application, you should really take it with a grain of salt and instead understand how the design works under the hood. You'll you'll get miles mm. more of uh, productivity out of that instead of you know looking at a graph and saying, oh, this one, this bar is higher. Um, yeah. So I, maybe well, it's well, about fundamentals, Michael. You know, it's about what, what kind of things are essential barriers or enablers to performance. Maybe that's a, a, a clearer cut kind of discussion. Yeah. I, so, so while the API is primarily uh, closure and its implementation is closure all the way down, a lot of the designs across these various architectures and, and products are pretty, they're not the same, but they're, the, the ideas are similar because you're trying to make progress um, on a particular set of data. You're trying to do it in a fault-tolerant way. You're trying to do it in a way that requires as little messaging as possible, as little checkpointing as possible. And so really, how do you do the least amount of uh, work and have the least amount of overhead while n not disrupting your application's progress? Um, and so we we have a, a fairly good performance profile right now using Storm's record at a time model, which is 
uh, essentially a way to track um, a record's lineage throughout the system in a in a very um, in a very performant manner. But we're switching to what Lucas said: uh, ABS, asynchronous bear snapshotting, uh, in an effort to reduce the number of uh, acknowledgement messages, the number of checkpoints that you have to do. And so I'm hoping that um, our performance is going to get really, really good after we do this because we're able to do it um, in a way that, that no one else has right now. Um, ABS is primarily implemented through a pull-based architecture, and we've come up with a way to do it through a push-based architecture, which usually push-based will be faster than pull-based. So this is another case where you look at how things actually work and um, their mechanics are more important than any particular benchmark. But maybe it's if you can run the benchmarks, Michael, you can stop the benchmarks being infuriating to you <laughs> and make them infuriating to everybody else. Yeah, yeah I mean, I suppose we could always publish something and say we're fastest because these are very... <laughs> I'll play the game. Pick, it's, pick it's just the like a news case for you, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's just like our, our podcast being the world's number one R-rated vegetarian closure <laughs> podcast. So in that specific area, we are the number one. Yeah. Don't knock at the end of the you. day, you only need so much performance. And if you, you run the application and it's good enough for you, then, I mean, who cares what's the absolute optimal conditions that this thing yeah. can run under? One thing we've seen quite a lot of is after a decent amount of optimization work, we tend to find most users' performance problems are dom easily dominated by the work they're actually doing themselves. So what, is their, what are their closure functions doing in between the tasks? Um, you know, yeah. possibly sometimes there are cases where they need to optimize by collapsing down tasks to, you know, eliminate communication between uh, peers. But, you know, that kind of thing is more about thinking about how your tool is working, not so much what yeah. Onyx's internal performance is like. I guess what most of the things that people compare performance with is, I mean, I think there's two aspects to using any tool, isn't it? One aspect is, you know, you want to make sure that the the workflow and the, the style of programming and the kind of tooling is up to scratch or meets your cultural expectations. But then you want to make sure that also, you know, from a from a management and cost perspective, you're not buying into something which is inherently more expensive than something which might be slightly less comfortable, but you know is going to cost you 50% less on your Amazon bills or something. So I think that's what maybe is what drives people. Um, so I, I guess that's what drives a lot of these benchmarks is in the end, people have to rent their machines, so they want to make sure they're not gonna be overpaying. And as long as you're in the same kind of ballpark in terms of rental costs for compute then people will focus more on the the more hygienic aspects of you know how you how you work with the apis how you work with the the tooling and that kind of stuff i think this is one of the drivers of why people are able to build businesses around these products despite them being open source which is you know what we're doing now onyx is entirely open source and yet we're able to construct a business. And I think it's primarily due to the fact that if you can you can shadow a lot of the problems of actually hosting and running these things and come up with a cost model that's meter-based and usage-based rather than machine time, you, you can build a viable business model because people are willing to go ahead and focus more on the things that, that matter uh, from an engineering perspective like API clarity. Yeah, I hope so, because that's the thing which 
which I think in the end should drive progress, you know, rather than Agreed. the, because the, to kind of look back at the uh, the technology wars, you know, and um, people like, I dread to think, you know, that, that Oracle won the database war because of its <laughs> performance, you know, so it would be horrible if we repeated that mistake, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, VJ. I know you're a fan, VJ. Sorry. Me? No. Well, I got paid by Oracle at some point, so I have some, some uh, you're tainted. history. Sorry, that's just a bit of trolling, bit of in-house trolling there. <laughs> I have been to the land of Mordor and uh, came back. Um, anyway, so um, because there are a lot of lots of other technologies in this space, right? You know, I, I know. Um, so, Lucas, you were explaining that the plugin architecture. Uh, so how, how well does Onyx play with other technologies? So what, what, what kind of tools are available right now? What kind of plugins are available? Right, so we do a pretty good job of supporting um, a lot of the main ones that uh, people ask us for. So, I mean, our first couple plugins were uh, Kafka and Atomic. Um, yep. They would probably be our most frequently used plugins still to this day. Um, Kafka because it's a really great fit for um, the streaming model that Onyx uses and um, it's being used a lot more in industry, I would say. And mm -hmm. Atomic because obviously uh, a lot of Clojure users used Atomic and one thing that's actually been a really great fit with Onyx is using uh, the input plugin that reads the Datomic transaction log um, because that allows uh, people to basically replay uh, what was going on in Datomic or react to new events that are happening uh, or being written to Datomic. Uh, as far as the other plugins, we have an SQL plugin, Redis plugin, S3 plugin, yep. Amazon uh, SQS plugin and a few others I, I'm probably forgetting right now but uh, we continue to add them as we can and as we get time or as people contribute them Those those are plugins uh, Lucas, are they like based on a closure protocol or so is it relatively, uh, how do you implement them if, if, if I wanted to do one for uh, for I don't know um, MongoDB, pardon me? <laughs> MongoDB, the snapshot of the databases. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do for MongoDB, no. But I, uh, maybe uh, I would do it for... Uh, Rethink. Uh, Oracle. I was going to say Dy DynamoDB or something. Sure. You no, would do sure. one for Oracle VJ. You could do that. <laughs> Which there has been one, one uh, DynamoDB one, but it's quite a bit older, I think. So we, re well, in the last few versions, we switched over to a protocol-based um, implementation of the plugins. So as long as you implement um, either the input protocol or the output protocol, usually pretty much good. Um, okay. So how much work is that? I mean, like how many how many uh, things do you have to implement to satisfy the the protocol? Do do you end up hooking to a lot of your log things, or is it, you know under the covers, or is it is it pretty much you know if you can essentially tap into the, the input, like say, okay, I, I know what the API for, for, for DynamoDB is, for example, so I can find out, okay, how I make a connection to it and then how I read the data. Is, am I pretty much 
good at that point in terms of your plugin or are there more specific things to, to do? So for the input plugins, um, you do need to do a lot of the work yourself. So input plugins are actually significantly harder to write than the output plugins. They're not too hard, but they're harder. Um, now this is because you have to implement a lot of the stuff like uh, checkpointing uh, where you're up to in the stream. Uh, right. So if, okay. And also dealing with the uh, retry semantics. Um, uh, basically, you're implementing the fault tolerance aspects yourself. Uh, this will be getting a lot easier in the next version of Onyx, though, um, because I'll wait then. I'll wait. I'll wait till the next <laughs> well, one. <laughs> I'll try not to avoid it's a recommendation. Was, we, we were just you just wanted to do the easy work. exactly. <laughs> We were just do the heavy lifting, about, Lucas. Come on. We were just talking about not Osborning ourselves um, and <laughs> preventing people from yeah, actually yeah. writing plugins. Um, output plugins won't be changing much, though. Those are actually quite easy because you don't have to deal with the fault tolerance aspects. You just have to take a batch that's given to you and write it out somewhere. So the the plugins are essentially, if I understand correctly, that uh, you implement a protocol and then. There is a function that gets the segments, right? Yep. Okay. So a segment is essentially a map of information or a closure map. Yeah, they're essentially akin akin to a record in other systems. Yeah. So, okay. so maybe it's, uh, an interesting one would be I mean, not Mongo, but maybe it's RethinkDB. Are you guys seeing any, yep. seeing much of that recently? Yeah. Yep. There is a plugin out there. Um, Uh, no, that's what I was going to say. I was trying to recall whether someone wrote one. I, I was pretty sure that actually happened at some point. <laughs> nothing nothing okay, well, bad. Yeah, I was going to say, we can just list, uh, maybe it's CockroachDB, you know, the, list, list the, the, the most kind of uh, yeah. gruesome names of all databases. That one actually looks really interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's like a survivable database that doesn't die, apparently. Yeah, that's, that's the, the thing. That's why I call it cockroach, isn't it? It's highly resilient. Yeah, yeah. I, I love their motivation, though. So basically, we need to write CockroachDB, data into CockroachDB, and then send it into the space, and that's it. <laughs> we dropped a nuclear bomb on it, and then it, we relooked, and it was still there. Exactly. And by the time it reaches Alpha Centauri and the new habitable planet, um, they should uh, probably know how to write Onyx plugins. I, I was going to talk. I was going to talk about uh, about SpaceX there, but maybe we shouldn't do that this week. Too soon, man. Wow. Okay. Uh, we talk, talking of talking of testing. No, maybe maybe we should talk about SpaceX. Then uh, we'll see an angry angry tweet from Elon oh, Musk, hey. and then we can invite him onto the podcast. Yes. Yeah, we can. That'll be awesome. But anyway, so testing. Yes. <laughs> okay. Sorry, so Ray, you are uh, taking the discussion towards testing now, right? So, so how, how do we how, how how do you guys test Onyx? Because I I saw some tweets uh, uh, by um, uh, by you guys uh, about Jepson and how it it helped you. So, can you give us some insight into how you use Jepson, Jepson or Jepson, Jepson? Yeah, maybe it's, maybe you should give a quick like quick intro to Jepson actually because. Uh... It's uh, I don't think everyone knows it. Probably quite a lot of people do, but maybe it's Michael or, or Lucas. Do you want to give a quick background on Jepson first? Yeah, uh, go ahead, Lucas. This is yeah, this one parts yeah. So Jepson is a library written by Kyle Kingsbury. Um, 
which he built to support his Call Me Maybe series, which is a really interesting series of uh, blog posts which describe how he's tested various um, distributed systems, primarily databases. Yeah, um, excellent, excellent series of uh, videos, I think, and blog posts. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, I think he's really done a lot of good work in changing uh, expectations as well about the level of testing and the ways that different products are tested um, because I think there's been a lot of um, cases where products are put out into the wild and used in production before they're really ready. And I think he's just really raised the bar for what I think what, what he did, especially, I think what he did especially was he called people out where they were saying they were safe in a distributed split brain world. You know, they were resistant to it. They were okay. And in fact, his tests proved that they weren't. And I think he was calling bullshit on a lot of people, basically. And I think it's fair to say that. Yeah, and even even in cases um, where the products don't support it, you know, these things should be documented so that uh, practitioners can make the right choices about the products that they're using. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of this CAP stuff is is all about you making the choice over availability or consistency or whatever. Right. And so as a, at the time, two-member team, um, we felt that it was important for sake of both professional pride and um, also trying to prove that, you know, our, our system, Onyx, uh, is production ready. Uh, so we put it through, um, we built some Jepson tests with it. So we used his library to build some tests around, uh, you know, getting jobs running on a five node system and then partitioning them from each other and then checking the results that came out of the job and making sure that no data was missing, you know, or in the case of uh, exactly once aggregation, uh, that no value was uh, counted twice, for example. And, um, you know, even though we, we had a lot of property tests to, that ensured that some of uh, the testing space was covered. Uh, we found that Jepson picked up a lot of issues that weren't covered by, you know, uh, testing in a pure way. We we found that there were a lot of um, issues around connection handling, for example, um, or uh, concurrency issues that it picked up. Uh, and yeah, we we feel that we couldn't have picked up these issues without using something like Jepson. Fantastic, yeah. So, so he, did did you talk to Kyle about it? Was he has he been involved a bit, or was it just you using his tools and kudos to him? Uh, we have talked to him a little. Um, we paid for a few hours of his time, but he wasn't um, he wasn't super involved in it. So we only have ourselves to blame for the methodological <laughs> issues in whatever our testing did. Um, but yeah, he was super helpful um and highly recommend that um people go out there and hire him so do you get a picture of carly ray jepson now on your website to prove that you're <laughs> past the test well what he said was that there is no proving you can only you can only prove that it doesn't work it's an honor system after having been through the whole process of testing it in various ways including jepson if you're writing a distributed system, 
I I can't imagine that you could have real confidence in it without doing, if not Jepson, some kind of simulation testing because the number of things that we've seen go wrong is just unanticipated. I'm not saying our work was bad. We put as much effort into our work as we possibly could. It's just inhuman to think you will catch all the things, and some of the things will be really bad and embarrassing. Um, so if you if you're an aspiring distributed systems designer, yeah, really go out and try try to beat the stuff up with the best tools you can. Yeah, we practice yeah. Jepson driven development now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I had to do some I, I had to do some uh, data cleanup these days. I think around um, we have around 600 gigabytes per day, and uh, I wrote a Spark program. And uh, obviously, I'm uh, I'm a noob and and uh, and the village idiot. So I it, it's basically cleaning up huge amount of chunks of uh, JSON data, uh, or or transforming it into something. So initially I thought, okay, I'm gonna look for this data and I don't want to construct a lot of objects, so I didn't use any string builder or anything. I'm just gonna do uh, string index of substring, so it's gonna be really um, memory efficient. And um, in in the case of uh, replacing some data in, in the string, I used replace all instead of replace. And I ran it for two days or something and everything was going hunky-dory, so I didn't check the results. And then later I figured out it was filled with exceptions because the replace all treats the string as regular expression and replace treats the shit as normal strings. I didn't so know that. So I used replace all. Yeah, that was fascinatingly painful thing to realize after processing, I think around, I don't know, a uh, thousand gigabytes of data. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh fuck. Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, we have our first fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cheers. I remember this YouTube video, by the way, there was somebody recording developers and, and everybody was on headphones and all you can hear is shit, fuck. <laughs> anyway, it's like listening so, to my kids play video games. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So this is, yeah. So as, as you can see, the kind of errors are, are at a distributed scale and it is like big data scale. Like, holy crap, I mean, it has been running for three days and my log, my, my data, when I looked into the data to test what, what is happening, uh, I put in try catch all errors and then write this line and the whole file is filled with those lines. <laughs> yeah, what's clear is that as you get up towards that level, you need a different set of engineering tools to be able to work efficiently. Yeah. And those, that's the primary challenge. Exactly. And and this is after, you know, tweaking all sorts of knobs on... on um, on Spark because to, to make it run faster, to make it all sorts of stuff and spending a lot of brain cycles. So this is, this. I mean, I, I'm really amazed with, with all, all, all the work you guys are doing. It's 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 a very, very hard problem, I can imagine, even even for an idiot like me who is just using the tools, you know? It's a labor <laughs> of love, I can love, imagine I guess, building those. it. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's really uh, fantastic, by the way. I was just going to, just going back to your point there, BJ, one quickie yep. is uh, one of the things that I liked about Clojure at the beginning, actually, was the, the data set, the data structure things where Rich was very clear about the big O notations around operations on data structures. And yep. I think that's the kind of thing, isn't it, that we, we, we kind of, we, we can't necessarily get for these distributed data structures. But if we could, if we could have something similar to that, you know, then yeah, I think for, for big data, I think there should be big F notation. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> so for normal computation, this is going to be big O. Or log F. 
and this is going to be oh fuck notation you know <laughs> this is crazy crazy stuff for, for log f rather than uh, linear f <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so obviously um so so you guys are 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 busy uh, scaling up onyx as a company so uh, can, can you guys um give us some idea about who is using onyx and and how uh, some some use cases or maybe some name dropping we're seeing a lot right. of a lot of um oh, oh, go ahead sorry all right no, you go ahead uh, all right so polite uh <laughs> we're starting to see a, a lot more, yeah, can someone go ahead yeah um, <laughs> there, there is some sort of problem with the later election here <laughs> it's, it's consensus between two processes is already difficult hold on we're gonna run paxos very quickly just give <laughs> a <minute>. um <laughs> No, uh, we're we're starting to see a lot lot more people move into uh, real time analytics. That's that's kind of been a sweet spot where latency needs to be relatively low, um, streaming oriented problems. Um, we've even seen a little bit of action in the financial industry. I'm, I, no name dropping there, but we're we're starting to see Onyx be used to deal with money, and that's um, it's kind of a point of pride. I mean, just to, to see things get stable enough where yeah. people are willing to yeah, do some sure. kind of real time you know um, financial stuff is is pretty great. So uh, it, it's certainly proven to be more stable. We're, we probably the number of use cases that I know about in production is probably somewhere in you know, maybe ten companies range. Um, but we we have people kind of drop in the channel every now and again and say, "Well, we got this Onyx system," and I said, "I had I had no idea." So, <laughs> wow, I didn't. You never even had any questions for us. That's fantastic. So really, who knows how many people are using it? I I I'd project maybe somewhere in the fifteen to twenty companies range are in production. Hmm. No, I know for sure that Cognition uses Onyx, right? I mean, Robert Sutterford, who was in here for right. talking about Datomic, uh, he wrote a uh, wonderful blog post. Yeah, you should uh, put that in the show notes. It's a great post. Okay. So uh, now the next question. First of all, uh, not first of all, but probably last of all now. <laughs> uh, a very big congratulations on, on getting the funding for Onyx. Uh, so your company distributed masonry. Um, now that, that 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 shows that there is a lot of trust, um, even from the external people. I hope uh, you know, uh, making sure that Onyx has bright future. So, what are the future plans for Onyx? Thanks. Um, for first of all, um, yeah, we were able to raise uh, an investment round of uh, five hundred thousand dollars to be able to push us through another year, year and a half. Um, and and really, mm. we're we're looking to sort of. Um, shift towards being strictly a consultancy into a hybrid of a a consultancy and um, a product development company. Um, really, the, the goal of Onyx from the outset was to lower engineering costs for building these kinds of systems. It's clearly a very mm. expensive endeavor. It takes a lot of time. And so building Onyx was an exercise to see how low we could make those costs. And what it came down to was that the costs still aren't low enough for me for, for us to find that you know there has been an acceptable change. It's gotten better, and I think primarily Onyx has done a good job of increasing confidence as you're building these systems because it's more clear about what you're building, if it's correct, um, how it behaves. And so confidence has increased, mm -hmm. but actual time to, from moving from scratch into an Onyx production system I don't think is significantly better than in any, any other tools yet, just as a, as a field study from what I've seen. Um, maybe that's wrong, but that's just my personal, um, you know, personal feeling on the matter. So the next mm -hmm. step to actually trying to decrease engineering costs is to come up with a more holistic solution. We've had years of, of experience of looking at how people use Onyx, where are the pain points, 
and we've identified the things that would actually, in fact, uh, have real, um, re a real impact on how quickly you could move uh, an Onyx system from, from nothing into production. And primarily, we're finding that if you can tighten feedback loops in particular ways, you can increase someone's understanding and get them to move a lot faster. So we're looking forward to coming out with a technical preview in the next couple of months of what we've built. But um, I would say right now we're, we're wielding the power of, of closure and closure script um, to be able to let you understand what you're building at a significantly faster rate and in ways that other people really have not seen before. So I'm excited to, to be able hmm. to uh, show that off pretty soon. Sounds pretty exciting, and and of course, uh, fingers crossed, and we'll wait for the stuff. So right right now, uh, distributed masonry is three persons, right? Or if I uh, get that right? Yep, that's right. Uh, immediately after we took the round, we hired Gardner Vickers, who's been a long-time contributor to Onyx. Okay. Okay. So I have two questions. So um, how do how does somebody get into Onyx code base? So where, what are the interesting places where people can contribute to Onyx right now? I would say the first place you could look would be the plugins, I would say, um, because it gives you a reasonable idea of, you know, how the plugin, um, you know, uh, how the fault tolerance mechanisms work. Um, and it gives you an opportunity to contribute something that's kind of self-contained and kind of grows the ecosystem a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think in, in addition to that, looking at the Learn Onyx workshop, and then using that as a springboard to investigate how Onyx Core is actually working and kind of tinkering around with the various knobs would be a good start. That's pretty nice. And my second question is, are you guys hiring? <laughs> Soon. I'd say we need a couple <laughs> more months, but uh, we are definitely looking to expand our, our development team later in the year and into next year uh, much more. Okay, so you heard here first. So distributed masonry will be looking for distributed computing uh, programmers. Uh, so guys, get into Onyx and then build plugins. That's what my message for me, uh, for, for our audience today. Okay, um, I think we covered a lot of ground today. Is there anything I'm, uh, I missed? Um, right? Um, I, I guess, I don't know. Um, I don't know if this is a, a tricky area, but um, I'm, in, I'm interested in uh, the, the kind of in a job. <laughs> in a job. <laughs> yeah, come on, guys. <laughs> just, 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 just say it. <laughs> you need to have proficiency in big F notation. <laughs> I'll prove on myself as a big F. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I was going to talk about um, some of the some of the kind of emerging like um, distributed computing thing that's going on, like uh, lambdas and. Other things. I, I don't know if you guys are. What, what, if you have a story or thoughts on um, on the kind of process stuff uh, or the the, the serverless stuff. Um, maybe maybe that's kind of outside of, um, of of Onyx at the moment. I, I don't know. I'm just interested in that in that uh, in that concept. Yeah, I, I think that kind of comes along with the whole notion of um, doing a more holistic platform. We we have some ambitions to remove the the operational and the hosting requirements of onyx and then shift that onto us which is pretty a pretty typical play for anyone doing a platform as a service you're just going to move away all the networking drudgery that comes along with it um but we're, right. we're really shooting for some middle ground where we're not I, I think serverless is interesting 
but it's a little too constrictive in my opinion for the amount of expressivity you can have. So uh, I, I would say you'll start to see Onyx move in a direction from the hosting perspective where it's a little bit closer to that, but we'll still hopefully maintain uh, the richness of the API that we'll still we'll be offering um, in kind of the same breath. Okay. Because the reason I mention it is because um, some of the things that we're looking at in um, in the stuff that we're doing is this kind of uh, event-driven stuff where you can drive events through logs and streams and stuff like that. But uh, but but for the slower moving things, then the serverless stuff is quite good for that. It, I would actually, agree. I think yeah. serverless doesn't seem so good for it's it's definitely not good for big data actually. Uh, but it seems pretty good for stuff where you don't want a kind of server up all the time. You only want it like an hour a day or something. Right. Or I think that's really where the sweet spot is. Sorry, Michael. I, I sort of stopped, okay. but then I carried on. So protocol problem. Oh. I'll let you finish. <laughs> no, I uh, Hangouts kind of burped on us. Uh, I was just saying I agree. I think that's really where the sweet spot is. It's a good use case for when you need really limited usage and you need it in an ad hoc way. Um, that's what it was designed for and using it for that is fantastic. Okay, so horses for courses. Um, I think I think we're right that, that what we're talking about generally with Onyx is dealing with large scale data sets and large scale problems. And uh, like you say, a platform as a service would, would make things very nice. Okay, so can I ask one final bonus question? <laughs> okay, so Mike and Lucas, uh, so you guys are doing a lot of research in distributed computing and, and spending a lot of brain cycles on it. Do you guys have any recommendation for uh, for reading, you know, uh, a, a paper or something like that? Anything would you recommend? A book, probably. I would recommend reading the morning paper blog by Adam yeah. Collier. Yeah, yeah that's Oh, Adrian Collier, sorry. Um, yeah, fantastic yeah, blog. Yeah. Um, he explains things in a, he summarizes and explains things in a really um, good, easy to understand manner. And I always pick up really interesting things there. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. So I was just going to say, is there anything from your perspective, guys, that you want to, to, to add or talk about or uh, any upcoming things outside of um, the things we've talked about already that, that you want to mention? Is there a secret fork of Onyx and Haskell? <laughs> <laughs> no, we just... No, no time for that. <laughs> no, I think we, we covered the ground pretty well. That's uh, Those are the, the main points of Onyx. That was, that was a good good discussion. Yeah. I noticed, by the way, that I've talked to you a couple of times uh, back and forth on the Slack channel, and that seems to be a very good place to... Uh, to, to go and ask you guys questions and get into the sort of swim of, of Onyx and the feel for things. Yeah, the Clojarian Slack channel is the best job. Excellent. Okay, so um, I think that's it. We can uh, round it up, I guess. Yeah, fantastic. Thank today. you very much, guys. Yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Lucas and uh, and Mike, uh, joining all the way from uh, all sorts of uh, weird time zones today. It's a very distributed every in every every sense.
we we learned a lot of lot of things and especially for me it's been um, a fantastic discussion and uh, by the way thanks to you i i was able to learn a bit of ascii doc now uh, so that that was useful for me oh yeah thanks for that and we really appreciated that uh, <laughs> yeah, i doxnated the work <laughs> i finally figured out those weird syntax in ascii doc now so that that's that was fun but otherwise uh, uh for people who are who want to get into onyx uh, i i could not recommend more uh the learn onyx thingy and um obviously i'll try to do the workshop in amsterdam closure meetup and i'll poke you guys for questions and and we and and i know that you you guys are on gitter and closure uh, and slack and there is also a mailing list um as far as i remember yep that's, that's right, right. Uh, yeah so um those are the ways you guys can get in touch with um with onyx brains um and so that's that's it for from us today i think um we will post the notes on def and audio uh, and obviously the mp3 will be available on soundcloud and itunes and all other popular channels um, if you if you can leave a leave a review that would be very good and uh rich if you're listening tweet again that would be also very good uh you know and that so keep it going <laughs> oh what one fan go on sorry Vijay. sure sure go on. i was just going to say if are we done because uh, i just want to say final credits um thanks to okay so just a final credit to pizzeri who does the intro and outro music um if you can give a bit of love to his soundcloud that would be good um the track is melon hamburger and it's a vegetarian intro outro music so <laughs> that's great okay right thanks a lot vj great stuff and we'll be back to village idrichi next time um and we'll be minus the big brains of michael and lucas so thanks a lot michael thanks lucas thanks for having us guys thanks it's been fun thank you okay bye bye right. bye bye